to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. We have a little bit of a different episode this week. I am away on vacation, so I am going to run an interview Andrew and I did with Allison Jackson, who's competing in the upcoming Women's World Road Race Championships this weekend. And in her day job, Allison races for the EF Education Women's Team and is also a Canadian national. So she'll be competing for Canada in the road race this upcoming weekend. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm Spencer Martin, author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. I'm here with Andrew Vance, host of the Choose Choose the Hard Way podcast, and Allison Jackson, winner of 2023 Perry Roubaix Femmes. Andrew, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast before we get into our conversation with Allison? Yeah, Choose the Hard Way is a podcast about how hard things build stronger humans and how the hard things in life are the most fun things besides dance, which is also a very fun thing. And if you follow the show, you know I've had Allison Jackson on Choose the Hard Way be sure to go check that interview out to hear about Allison's lifetimes. And we're going to go deep on pro bike racing here today, of course. But you can find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at choosethehardway.com and at Hardway Pod on social. So come check us out. And we also just had Ian Boswell on this week, who was a frequent dance collaborator with Allison. And Alice, so you won Pierre Roubaix. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about your goals later in the year. I just needed, I just listened to your episode with Andrew. I need, I, so you mentioned you're from Canada, a farm in Canada. I feel like you guys underplayed it. I looked this place up. It is unbelievably far North. Like it must've been a brutal environment that you grew up in. Like, were you cycling outside at all in the wintertime? Tell me a little bit more about your upbringing in this absurdly rural, absurdly far North Canadian town. Now, as you, I hope you didn't look up Fort Vermilion. Fort Vermilion is actually like really far, like in the northwest corner of Alberta. I'm like, I'm like just east of Edmonton. So, so we're we're still it's still north, but but it's more like central Alberta. <laughs> I, just, I think of Calgary um, though as so far north, and then I'm like Edmonton is further north. Oh my god, it's just like it's almost. Un, is it just like negative forty all winter? Um, well, it, it, it literally can be, yes, <laughs> but not all winter. Okay. It's usually more around like minus 20. Oh, so that right. you can still do activities oh, outside. Yeah. Hey, you're out, that's practically a sauna. Yeah. You, you actually have to worry about. I mean, you just, you just get the ice crystals stuck to your eyelashes that you have to, um, you know, diffuse every so often. So they don't, your eyes don't, um, glue closed because of the cold. <laughs> I, th- I think Goop has a product that handles that. So, Allison, I'm curious: do the bison stay out year round? Are they good to go in that those kinds of conditions? I know we have a lot of bison fans out there, Buffalo fans in Boulder, right? <laughs> I- yeah. Um, the I mean, bison—they're just—they're you know uh, naturally a wild animal to this area. So, absolutely, they can take care of themselves in the winter. They're built for that. They were doing that long before we tried to care for them, and mostly on my farm my ranch the bison just roam we just got a lot of land a lot of free free roaming rain for the bison just to keep to themselves and yeah the just like glorious animals out out pushing the snow around i believe a lot of the bovine in north america what we think of as cows have been bred with bison like hundreds of years ago to then give them that hardy gene so they can stay out in these super cold North American winters, but don't fact check me on that, but I like the story. <laughs> I'm actually already going to squish that theory down. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Did you, if, it's like, basically, I mean, one time I think we had, um, you know, like a bison get loose and then, and then there was a, a beefalo baby made, <laughs> but it ends there. They can't reproduce after that. So it actually, there's, yeah, it just end of the line there. And, um, even cows now, they actually still, like, if you're a cattle farmer, you have to really take care of your animals, like, over the winter. Make sure they've got, like, indoor space that they can run around, or you have to, like, really check on their water and feed and everything. You've got to, there's a lot of, like, hands-on stuff you have to do. So we always say the bison is, like, the lazy man's cattle, because you actually don't need to do anything with them. Interesting. So. Andrew and I yeah. were talking about this before you came on. Do you live in, we, you know, we interviewed Kristen Faulkner at her beautiful palatial um, Spanish mansion earlier this year. 
do you live full-time in Europe or are you in Canada and then you just fly over there to race throughout the season? No. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Set up, set up shop over, over in Spain in, in Girona. Um, and yeah, I mean, I always say I have like three temporary homes and, and one of that is like still at the, at the farm at my family farm, um, where all my mail gets sent. And then, uh, I have another place I stay, uh, Abbotsford, BC. So just outside of Vancouver, which really is my favorite place in the world to ride and my favorite place to train and got a lot of great roads and, and terrain there and friends from university and friends from the cycling community. And then, uh, yeah, basically all year from, you know, February to, to when the season ends, September, I'm, I'm in Europe and, uh, yeah, just flying in and out of Girona to, to the races and back. Um, yeah, just setting up a nice, nice Spanish casa to live in. Nice. And so do you train, do you have to train a lot back at the family farm or are you mostly in Vancouver when you're doing your off season training? Yeah, mostly in Vancouver. Um, but I do a lot of Alberta box rides when I am <laughs> out visiting the farm. And when I say Alberta box ride, because everything in Alberta is so gridded for like the farmlands that it's just like 90 degree turns all the time. And the roads, there's 75% of the roads are gravel um, in my area. If from my farm, if I start riding uh, on the paved road and take every the first possible right turn on a paved road, the smallest lap I can make is 150 K. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. How's the wind out there? Uh, yeah. It's a, it's the direction is always a headwind. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, yeah. Spencer and I both grew up in the Midwest in the U S where, I mean, it's the same thing. It feels like whatever direction you're riding, when you head out for a ride, it's relatively flat. Although we've been doing some investigations of the geography where we're from today. There are allegedly thousand foot high hills at this race we're doing in the fall. We don't believe that. Nonetheless, <laughs> it seems like it's windy every direction you ride when you're in Missouri or Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I'm out on the ride, like in the summer, I'll wear headbands and earphones. And whether I actually play music or anything in the earphones, basically it's just like cut that wind noise. Because I think actually that's one of the most exhausting things about riding in like the open plains, it's just like the wind in your ears. I, yeah, I'm like getting flashbacks to this. I used to worry actually a lot about like hearing loss from the wind. And then now that I don't live in a wind tunnel, I, I don't worry about it as much, but it is like really loud. It can be really loud in your ears, just nonstop. There's like stories of like settlers going crazy because of the wind. Like they just start hearing voices because the wind is just like in their ears all the time. And I, and I buy it because it is nuts. And Ian Boswell was saying, uh, slanderous things about kansas riding did you do you recall this andrew on your podcast and and i, I kind of support him it, it is it is brutal um i this is probably why you're so good allison because you're out at roubaix it's everyone thinks it's miserable and you're like well we get turns this is uh there's a curve in the road this is like easy for me i'm not i'm not on a straight road for 150k <laughs> Actually, that is, um, so I plan my routes, um, by trying to either like get as much elevation as I possibly can. So I'll find like one ravine and then just try to like ride in it and out and then in it again, but like on different roads, but it's so far in between that you can get like through the ravine and on the other side, or I'm looking at the map and I'm just trying to find any road that curves a little bit. And literally it's just going to be this like really wide bend in the road, but I will ride like 50 K just to get this one little bend and be like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because Vancouver, I'd say complete opposite of that. That's like a cycling hub, probably super interesting riding. You said, is that your favorite place to train even more so than Girona? Oh, totally. Yeah. Cause in like in Abbotsford, so just outside, you've got tons of country roads so you can, and it's quiet. So quiet, small country roads where the grids are uh, much closer together, like the side roads that you can take than in Alberta, where it's going to be like miles, <laughs> at least a mile until you can take another turn. But yeah, here, there's so many different options to ride little, you know, different ways to get to wherever you want to go. But then you've got like a really great, like classics course of hills where they're going to be like a K or, or 
a little less or a little more, um, but then really steep. And you can just like hit up all these like climbs a ton in, in the area near Fort Langley. But then you've got like bigger mountains um, and you've got like North Shore mountains like on Vancouver that are like long climbs that you can do. But there's like, you know, like the three um, big climbs uh, out there, like to the ski hills uh, that are right close together. So you've got options. Then out like more in the valley, you've got tons of of different climbs and, and riding that you can link them all together. Um, and then tons of like gravel roads and mountain biking and the, the forest service roads that you can go and explore that are, you know, a pretty good gravel and steep or whatever. There's just such a range. And then, uh, but you're always like never too far from home, great coffee shops along the way. Yeah. I just, there's so many options. Um, yeah, I really like, like the riding here. Allison, are you on the mountain bike or gravel bike that much during the road season? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll ride the gravel bike quite a bit. I mean, you know, before the, the, there was the whole, you know, specific genre of gravel riding, I would take my bike and I would ride anywhere, you know, on gravel and whatever. I mean, even around my farm, um, it's actually really nice that we have, you know, specific gravel bikes now with the wider tires that just allow like, uh, you don't like cut down, <laughs> cut into the gravel so much because in Alberta, the gravel is like really soft and very pebbly. Um, so you would just basically with a skinny tire, you'd like, you know, be slicing down to the ground in it. But um, yeah, out in BC, there, there's tons of just like, I just love exploring or seeing something new or riding a new road. And there, there's tons of different ways you can do that. And, and I mean, really any bike can do it. Um, it can be easier and a little faster and a nicer ride if you have, you know, a more specific equipment for it, like a gravel bike or a mountain bike. But yeah, I, I just, I love bikes. I love riding anything. And so just to set the stage a little bit or set the scene. So you win Paris-Roubaix earlier this year. It's a big deal. You probably talked about it ad nauseum. We won't make you walk through that, you know, step by step. But just to give the listeners a little bit of background, if you're not familiar you know, I would say that's probably what the second biggest race on the calendar, third biggest race. Like if you do Tour de France, Tour of Flanders, Pay Roubaix probably would be tied for second, then maybe the Olympics. So a really big race. Um, can you just walk us through a little bit about going into like what type of rider you are? Like, were you expecting to be a contender there? And then as the race unfolded, like, did you go into it thinking, I think I can win this or did you kind of get into the break? I don't think we saw the break form. I think the TV coverage came on and the break yeah. was because I, I turned the TV on. I was like, oh, wow, I don't think this is coming back. It didn't come back. But can you like the, before, going into that race, like were you expecting to be a contender to win or did you, that kind of like happen, you know, as the break was forming? And you're like, well, I'm up here. I'll try to win now. Well, no, and the, I've always been um, like a, a rider as a feature rider that could do well in this race for uh, the first two editions, like, yeah, it was 24th and then 13th. So like, you know, in, in the, yeah, I'm a type of rider that like suits this course. So just be like, I, I thrive, I do really well in tough conditions. So, and then I'm a great, like classic cobbled rider. One day races are also great. If it's going to be harder for others, it's better for me. Um, and then it, you know, if it comes down to, if it's a hard race and it comes down to a smaller group and then it's a sprint, then it's also like, those are, that's, you know, when I can, can win bike races. Um, so yeah, always, always, maybe not the top out and out favorite, but always, um, on the teams that I've been on been, you know, the, the favorite rider for that team or an outside favorite coming in, into this race. Like, I mean, you have to be able to back yourself. If you, if you don't think that you can win a race from the start, then you're really disadvantaging yourself. Um, even just with the mentality, the winner mentality you have to have to go into a race in order to win. And this race, oh, I always, I mean, I probably think I can win a lot of races and that's a, with, and that's the attitude that I would take into the race. Um, and then you still have to play out how the race is going to go and interact with each, you know, situation and opportunity that you get. But coming into Perrier Bay, um, like it, the team, when I signed with, with EF, uh, education, TIBCO, SVB, they, from the very beginning 
had basically picked this as a, as a key race for me for the year. It had been, you know, set up on my training peaks as just like the, the key race for the spring. There's a lot of other races that in the spring that I wanted to target to win. Um, but when we got down to it, um, you know, I hadn't accomplished those goals yet. And so I think, you know, coming into Paris-Roubaix, I really had this like burning fire of like being, I really wanted to win, um, you know, a one day classic and hadn't done that yet. And I think that, um, yeah, really just like built up some sort of my tenacity or my, I guess, like courage to, to be in the action of the race in Paris-Roubaix. Um, so yeah, the thing is too with Paris-Roubaix is so much, uh, is out of your control in this race. Um, you know, the mechanicals, the crashes, the flat tires, um, the crashing, they're so, all these things are just heightened. There's, there's a higher chance of any of these things that can happen. And I mean, the first year I crashed, uh, two times, uh, was 24th. The second year I crashed once and was 13th. And I just thought like, if I have a race where I have no crashes and I have a clean run, then for sure I'm going for the win. And that's always what I believed going in, into this race. Um, so, and then I think just from like watching how the season had played out before, um, and just seeing like how dominant of a team SD works is and, and our team plan had a lot, bit, a lot of the time been to, you know, kind of wait for the key moment moment and then hope we can, you know, like make it, um, when another team kind of sets the pace and, uh, it just really wasn't working. It wasn't working for us. It hasn't been working for other teams. And so coming into Paris-Roubaix, I just, it's a race that if you can get ahead, um, we see this a ton in, in the men's race, uh, that, that early breakaways or people who ride the breakaway can actually last, uh, quite a long ways. And I think for this year, for the women, we had the, our course was longer than it had been. So we added this, you know, longer sort of 15 K lap before getting into the cobbles. And it really, um, set the race up that, that we could set something up earlier that a breakaway could go. In previous editions, we just basically did all these fast crit laps before going straight into the cobble. So everyone's racing for positioning the whole time. Nothing was going to get away. It was just so fast and crazy. And then you get into the cobbles and it's just, you know, again, a positioning race and fast and crazy. So coming into, yeah, 2023, figuring that actually, um, just telling all my teammates, like, we need to be in that, in that breakaway or try to make it happen. Cause, cause that's the best way to sort of get, get ahead. I, for me, I am really good in the chaos and the positioning. So I didn't need to be in that front breakaway, um, in order to make it when, you know, the hard parts were going to happen, but I didn't want us to miss out on it. And at that point I also just, I just wanted to make the race happen. I wanted to be in the action. I didn't want to wait, um, you know, for, for anything to happen. And so, yeah, when the, the moment came basically, you know, I think, you know, we had done the, a couple small laps and then right on to the, to the big course, we came out of the, the start town and it's a bit technical, um, before getting onto the big lap. And that was when, yeah, um, the, the break went, I bridged to it and then just started rolling and that was it. It had had a rider from most, of the teams. And so everyone just sat up and, and yeah, let it go. And once, you know, everyone was really committed to it. And once we had the like five and a half minutes, then it was like, okay, yep, this is this now is we're not, I'm not saving anything for, you know, you know, trying to make it when the group comes back to us, this is the, the tactic that we're going with. I'm going to invest totally in that. This is going to be the race winning move. Um, this is the opportunity that I have for myself. And then, yeah, just, uh, yeah, rode hard, tried to motivate the others by example, by just riding. Um, and yeah, then, well, we made it. <laughs> Allison, a, a question for you that I bet is top of mind for a lot of people who are watching Unchained right now or who have finished the series. Mm. And Spencer and I have been doing a series, taking a look at Unchained. But if you watch Unchained, you would think that the only thing that's happening on the communications happening on your radio with your team director is just the team director screaming, go, go, go at you. Is that actually what's happening or is anything strategic being communicated on your radio with your DS or teammates? Yeah. I mean, when I got on the break, the it's my teammates 
first I would see that I'm there. I radio to the team car, just letting them know that I'm the one in the break. My teammates are saying, yeah, uh, you know, no one's chasing. It's good. But the comments I get from my DS was like, Allison, what are you doing? Why are you the one in the breakaway? That was not my role. So I was getting the negative feedback, like, this is too early or whatever. But for my race feeling, um, yeah, take out my radio. No, my race (laughs) feeling was just like, no, this is, uh, I believe that this is going to be a good thing. And it was, you know, a great makeup of riders. And then, and then later, you know, when we were getting five minutes, then the DS comes back to me just being like, this is a great move. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I knew that. Right. Um, So then, um, yeah. And then really like the, at that point, you know, we're so far ahead from the Peloton. uh, I wouldn't be able to hear anything from my teammates, only just from the car. Their, their radio antenna has a, you know, a further reach. Um, And then it, you know, it wasn't until like the team car could come up to my group that really you can sort of communicate a little bit like that. And then, and then more so it was just um, like I knew the course re- really well from recons and from a lot of study. So knowing like where the cobbles are and, and the different notes and stuff we have on our like, you know, head unit uh, on the bike. So then really it's just like the team card giving me um, information of what's happening behind. So like, you know, the, the gap started to come down. What's happening in the back? Oh, there's a crash. Oh, there's these different attacks. Um and then, you know, also I was getting a lot of feedback about, Allison, you're working too much. <laughs> like, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. But the thing is, you know, that's um, from the team car what they can see, but they can't, you know, they don't know how I'm feeling. And also I, I really had to trust my race instinct at the time and knowing that I really believed that I could ride real hard and ride um, in the front in the moments that I chose um, and still be able to um, – yeah, you know, try to do something in the final, but you know, a lot of times, I probably a lot of the girls in the pel- in that breakaway were being told from the directors like, don't do any any more than someone else, don't do any more than someone else. Well, if everyone's being told that, and this happens a ton in women's racing, where everyone's being told that people start negative racing or riding, you know, skipping turns, and then the breakaway dies, they get caught, and then they're left with nothing. And um, I know this is a trend in women's racing, I know that I would be, was one of the strongest in the group. So I was going to show that I was going to give more than enough effort. So then all the other girls, well, if they're still doing less than me, but they're still riding quite well, we're going to make it. Um, and then, yeah, the, the group did get smaller and smaller. And, and, uh, then, you know, we try to determine whether it's better to be in the group or be solo. I mean, to come into the velodrome solo, you know, that you've got the win anytime you come in a, in a sprint, there's always just like the chance of winning is less. <laughs> if you're if you're solo, the chance of winning is very high. <laughs> and uh, whether I believe I'm the best sprinter in the group or not, it's still just a gamble with, you know, timing and positioning and whatever else. Um, but uh, yeah, most of the the feedback then from the the team just uh, yeah through radio communication was just what was happening behind and what the gap you know, where the gap was going, um, which is important information. Cause at one point, you know, there, I'm being told, we're not looking back so often. Um, but then being told, you know, that, that they're, you know, nine seconds behind and then you look back and you see that they're so close. And that was like the moment where I was like, no way I'm, you know, 5k to go. I'm not letting this, uh, I'm not letting all the good choices that we made for 140k um, just go down the drain in the last five. Um, and so that was when we put in a real big dig and then started to hear that, you know, the gap was going out again and then just, you know, relaying that to the rest of the girls in the group, just like, this is our moment we have to ride. And then, yeah, after that, when it comes down in, into the sprint, also my DS, they, you know, the, in the end, you just have to allow me to think less. (laughs) And that was, you know, my motto for the day was, um, don't, don't think just do. And so, uh, yeah, then when it comes into the, the final bit of the race, you just have to trust in, you know, the experience of being a good bike racer and feeling out the race and then, yeah, trying to take the win. Yeah. Cause Andrew and I both thought you were doing too much work, but it's actually, yep. I don't know if that logic totally holds up now that I think about it because yeah, if you don't do all that work, you guys get caught. Lotto Capecchi wins. Like Lotto Capecchi, it's like the end of uh, Avengers Endgame where it's like, I've seen this a million times. There's only one way this works where we can beat him. Like, 
she's the same way. If you guys just go to the velodrome, she's going to beat you. If you don't pull enough, she catches you, beats you. Like the only way you could have won that is the way you won it. So you were, we, you were right. We were all wrong in the end. It, how about that? It is kind of <laughs> funny. I, I, Andrew read my mind. I was going to ask you like the night before, did a director sit down with you and say like, you know, we've gone through the last 50 editions of Roubaix and it actually does help a lot to be in the early breakaway. Like that's how Matt Heyman won and beat Tom Boonen back in 2016, I believe one of those years. Like, did anyone give you that information or were you just kind of left on your own to figure out, like, I think the breakaway is a good place to be at this race? Yeah, I think, I mean, that was the the ideas that I came to the team with. And I really wanted to push that to my teammates to, like, believe that, like, you got to be in the action of the race. And I think that's the thing with bike racing is, is um, I mean, we love a bold winner you know, someone who like risks it all, uh, you know, risks losing in order or risks losing in order to win. And, I, you know, uh, it's so emotional when you see someone who has done that and they get caught, you know, just before the line or whatever. And, and uh, I mean, that almost happened to us. Um, but I, I mean, I think like part of it is maybe, you know, with my experience of being in the bike races for so long, I'm, I'm not satisfied with just like a top 10 result. And so I would rather, you know, be first or be 18th, be, be 30th, be, but have ridden an exceptional ride. And, um, you know, I think that's like, also, you know, if you have a team that you're, that you're really proud of riding for, or you know that there's going to be other athletes that can back you up as in, you know, I can risk it totally in this moment and know that, I'll, you know, I'll have a teammate later that can, if it comes back together, they can take advantage of the situation. Um, but yeah, I think just like the, I don't want to be a bike racer that just waits or just is pack fill or just, you know, does good enough. I, I want to do something that's exceptional or, um, you know, amazing or tells a great story or, or, uh, yeah, rides with, you know, passion and heart. Um, and then, and, you know, then it comes, a lot of times it won't work out. You know, you, you might have a great ride and you won't get the result, but you have to, you know, be bold or take chances in order to get, you know, something as special as a Paris-Roubaix win. Wow. I feel so pumped up right now. I feel like I could run <laughs> through a wall. Honestly, like that's I uh, I feel very inspired. That's amazing. And I'm curious, Allison, as you headed into this race, was there anything that you did different in your preparation relative to previous years? Like you talked about your mantra that day was don't think, just do. And was that new or different or was there something different about your psychological or physical training as you headed into the event? Yeah. You know, um, like I came into the race healthy, like Perry Bay's at the end of two months of hard racing. And we also had a, a year of like, tough weather and you know people getting sick and the crashing and all of that a lot of times you get to the end you get to Perry Bay and your body is already so rattled and you still have to try to pull out one great you know performance and um I did have a crash like earlier um you know in, in Drentha so that would have been about yeah four weeks before four or five weeks before this race and yeah I had to get you know a bunch of stitches in my knee and had to do some recovery and stuff and so um, yeah, I still had, you know, well, the stitches were out, but like, it was still just like a, not like a fully closed wound even by the time we got to Peru Bay. Um, but otherwise like health was really good. And we had like a, we, you know, we got to have a full team of six starters or where like at that time, you know, some teams are just like really like pulling through with their reserves. Um, so, I mean, that, that's just like, yeah, uh, you can't predict that 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 will come that will happen that you'll come to a race feeling um, the way that I did. But I think a lot of it too, like, um, I mean, racing, uh, it's so much. It, it's a lot about what you're bringing physically, but it's also what you're willing to put yourself through mentally. So, you know, are you gonna stick in it? Are you gonna be uh, tough? Um, will your reactions be? you know, your self-talk be positive or is it going to be negative or tiredness or whatever. But I think a lot of it, like, um, you know, I had a lot of big goals for me and for the team through the spring and we, 
didn't hit any of them. Uh, I, there's other races earlier that I tar- targeted that I really wanted to perform well in or go for the win and just like, yeah, uh, missing the mark. And all of that losing actually made me so frustrated. And I think it really just like, you know, built up that fire that like I was going to, I was going to be a part of the action or I was going to ride this breakaway so hard because I wanted to do if I could control anything, I just wanted to ride so hard to like make it happen. And so I think, yeah, when you look back uh, on how the, the season went, I mean, if maybe if you had more successes, you'd, you, you know, you'd take it a little easier because you're already confident in yourself. But yeah, just this like real burning desire of I didn't want to lose anymore um, sure, certainly impacted how I rode. Yeah. It's funny you talk about it. You, it is like a, you're like riding with heart and passion, but it's funny. You're also riding with like mathematical probability in mind where I think there's a complete misunderstanding in cycling of exactly what you say, where everyone wants to sit in where it's like, well, if we sit in or pack fill, like we're not going to win. We have a 0% yeah. chance of winning. But if you like come out like a lion and just like take the race to them, it's like, maybe you increase your chance of winning to 3%. That's better than zero. You know? So I, I do kind of wonder if you're going to spark a movement in women's racing where um, you know, I'm just looking at the UCI calendar right now. Every major race pretty much has been won by one of three riders, except your win at Paris-Roubaix, where to like break this uh, lockstep that that SD Works has in the sport. I wonder if like hopefully your win will inspire other riders to be like, you know, we can beat these women if we race in like a more aggressive way. Yeah, and it, it, some of it is interesting too. And in some of the stage races we've been in, we see like other teams kind of taking up the chase instead of like, um, because you know everyone wants to be in contention for that yeah. win. So like, oh, we all want to bring it for the chance that we could get you know a, a top ten in a sprint finish. But um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, okay. So now your goal is to be a top ten or to you know the probability of maybe winning against the Lorena Weaves in the, in the sprint is, is so low, but you really have to like, you need to be able to, yeah, risk losing and, or, you know, to be able to like put so much pr- more pressure on SD works that they have to chase everything down and then try to capitalize on it, but maybe not in a sprint final, but maybe in the late attack or, or something, but you have to be able to stay calm and, and, and yeah, I guess like be able to, be okay with a bit of risk and you, you, whether that risk is like going early and, and, um, and really fully riding, committing to the breakaway and riding it like that is your only option for a win. Um, or also like the risk of like, okay, we're setting, we're setting up the race, we're sending a breakaway so that we can, you know, use up some of the manpower that SD works has to, to, you know, try to set up another, another tactical move later that I think there needs to be a little bit more of that. I think, I mean, a lot of people want to just be kind of in the results sheet or, or, you know, feel like trying to give themselves a a chance maybe, but I think by, yeah, exactly. Like it ends up just being pack fill. There has to be some, there there needs to be something different that happens in in the bike race or, or a different tactic brought in. um, Yeah. To, to, yeah, try to, try to, take a win away from messy works basically. And, and when you what sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Ah, I was just going to say, and when you're looking ahead at the calendar right now, like what's on your mind, where is your focus mentally in terms of this is one where I want to win next? I mean, not to give anything away, but I'm sure you have a couple of stages on your mind or specific events where you're like, yeah, this is me. I'm, I'm all in, I'm going for it. So where is your head at right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, a super passionate Canadian. I really want to have the, the Maple Leaf jersey back. Um, so, I mean, and the Nationals are near my hometown. Um, they're in Edmonton. Uh, so to be able to win in front of my family and friends um, would just be, yeah, just a real special thing. And I, I just love being able to uh, ride in the Maple Leaf jersey for the, the rest of the season. Um, and really, I think that's like my race to lose. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit more of a, a sure thing, or I'd be a top favorite to, to win that. So it's a little bit different kind of pressure going into that. Um, I would love to be able to turn up to the Tour de France with a, with really good form and be able to put my hand up for, uh, you know, try, uh, being supported for a stage win. 
Um, we do have like uh, a great rider for the overall. So um, yeah, I really want to support that. I just, I really want to see my team win and um, I want to be a, a difference maker. And whether that is like being the difference maker is the one that crosses the line first for the team or the one that does what, you know, makes the decision making or does the work that makes a difference for a teammate to take the win. Um, that's, that's what I want to see um, happen for my team. Um, I just got back from uh, Scotland. So previewing the, the courses for worlds there. And um, I, I really think that courses are, uh, yeah, suit me very well. Uh, my best world championships was, was uh in Leuven in Belgium in 2021 uh coming sixth there and the course in in um Glasgow is quite is similar um it's punchy it's technical um yeah and uh so I I yeah really want to gear up or or train specifically for that um that would be yeah the other top on my my list for the year and I assume Paris 2024 is, is that a big, a big goal for you too? the road race there? Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that, uh, at nationals, um, to take both the road race and the time trial, uh, title there. Um, and then, yeah, basically just proved to be the, the top Canadian that for selection for the time trial and the road race in, in Paris. And the course is also like a, a city circuit, you know, punchy, it's technical. There'll be a little bit of climbing cobbles. Um, so I think it'll just be, it'll be a really fun course. And it's also one that sort of, yeah, you know, gets me excited. Um, so yeah. And, you know, as a Canadian, uh, the Olympics really means more, I think to us, like North Americans, you know, we're coming from a culture that is not steeped in cycling. Um, so when I tell, you know, people are, you know, in mainstream media or whatever, that I'm a professional cyclist, like they'll ask, Oh, do you, you know, have you raced the tour de France <laughs> or like, is it like the tour de France or, you know, do you, have you been to the Olympics? And those are kind of like validating moments. Um, but also as a kid, like before I dreamed of being a cyclist, I dreamed of being an Olympian and whether that was going to be in gymnastics or, um, running or almost any other sport, I just had the Olympic dream. So that's still like that little girl dream that, um, you know, sits still in my heart. So I would love for, yeah, to be able to compete at the Olympics. I mean, to be able to make it to the Olympics is such a hard thing to do, um, just to be on the team. But, um, yeah, after being, you know, checking that off the list by getting to Tokyo, now I, I just really have my, my eyes set on how can I, you know, get a top performance, um, in Paris. Yeah. Not to take us too far back, but just to pull on the Canadian thread a little bit, cause we just saw Derek G come out of nowhere and dominate this year to tell you. And I, I was kind of joking during the race of like, is like, it's terrible weather. Is he wondering like, when's this weather going to get bad? Like this is, this is not too bad. Just rain every day, but it's 50 degrees. That's, that's great compared to Vancouver Island. But like, A, what is going on in Canada? Why are you guys so good? And B, it kind of how did you go from this tiny town in Alberta with I I assume no cycling culture I don't think there's a Rafa no, uh, clubhouse there yet but you know and then you went to school in British Columbia you were running doing triathlon you know how did you kind of turn that corner and then what was the support like within Canada you know to get you to the level where you are now yeah for sure there's no cyclists in my town um, and you know that was not something that I saw happening um but i i am um i'm a yes person and i just and i I love experiencing new things and trying new things and trying to be excellent at um the things that i dive into and i mean i would say that a lot of that comes from like a farming mentality of like what you put in is what you're going to get out like what you the work that you put into the farm is what you're going to reap later um and kind of with like a you know um, a big picture, um, focus, a big, or holding that big picture idea, but being able to put in like the, you know, menial tasks every day in order to kind of get to that big goal. So I think I've taken that attitude, um, from farm life. Um, and, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, 
when I did get into cycling, um, I mean, it was from like, you know, club riders just encouraging me or thinking that I would be a great racer and then, you know, jumping into BC Super Week and doing well against some pros. And then, and then, um, it was actually the, the cycling, uh, my cycling club, um, leader connected me with the Cycling Canada president and, and he had put in a good word uh, for me um, at the world championships to like a North American team who then they called me and, and, you know, I got the, the opportunity. Um, and then I did a project with Cycling Canada in Europe for a couple of weeks, just racing crits and kermesses in Belgium and, you know, winning a lot of, of races there, which, uh, then I, I think that's really what showed like my aptitude to be able to, to bridge, um, you know, North American style of racing to European style of racing. And then, uh, yeah. That, and then, you know, I've raced, um, the world championships with the national team every year of my career. Um, maybe a couple of projects that, that they've done. Um, I think like for a national team, the most important thing is that they provide development opportunities, um, for, you know, juniors, U23s or, um, you know, athletes starting out, um, and really introducing them to European racing as soon as possible. Because if you want to be the best, you have to race against the best and the best are racing in on the European circuit. Um, and, uh, I, I think like, you know, a lot of it was just like my, my talent of my attitude of, um, you know, just like, being super aggressive in the races. Like I just have this real desire to win. So, um, and no fear. <laughs> and I think that really helped like jumping into the European style of racing where it's like chaos and, and crazy. I think a lot of times like North Americans come over to Europe and it's a, a bit intimidating jumping into small road, you know, big Peloton kind of racing. But yeah, I think, you know, what's been great is like, we've, we've always had, you know, some exceptional riders come out of Canada. And I think, uh, especially on the women's side, the women's side has really, um, held up Canadian cycling for a long time. Um, but then, you know, we get like a, a character like Mike Woods out, who's a great ambassador for cycling and, and then was, you know, at the forefront of like, you know, can you win a Tour de France stage? And, um, and then, uh, yeah, I think there's quite a, actually an age gap from, from sort of, you know, my era and there's like Leah Kirchman and Caroline Cannywell and then, you know, Mike Woods and some of the guys there that have been racing a long time. There's kind of quite an age gap from then to the next up and coming athletes. And so whether, you know, what was the, why is that? I don't know. Like why, um, yeah, there wasn't much good development happening in that time or whatever, but yeah, uh, Derek G has been a, a great guy to, to watch per, perform. He, he also is just such a, a lovely human character. Um, you know, he really just wanted to get in and give it his best. He's got a, uh, a really good, you know, balance of perspective, which is like, I like to think a, a Canadian trait, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he did some of the track program with the, the national team. Um, and I mean, he, everyone knows his dad as being a, a super great racer, a master's racer, um, out in Ottawa area. And, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, he comes from a, a good bike race family. Um, yeah, he's got a lot of talent and, and it, it was, uh, you know, really cool to see just like all that he could uh, accomplish or, or get after at the Giro. I think what I loved is that, you know, he just wanted to finish the race. And then, you know, when he was in that first breakaway and getting second, it was like, wow, this was like something I could never have dreamed of. And what a great thing. But by the end on that, <laughs> whatever stage 14 or wherever it was, when, you know, he, get, he, it was his third, third time actually riding in the breakaway and he gets second and he's so upset because now he believes so much that he could win and that he should win. And I just love that change of perspective and how confidence grew from just being, oh, happy to be there to now having this being able to set goals and believe that he can do it. I just thought that was such a, um, yeah, you, you could see basically the character development, the, the career development in, you know, just the span of the, the two weeks there. So yeah, it, you know, and, and 
he's super on form for the time, you know, this time and also the opportunity to ride the Giro when you didn't have a leader allows opportunities for things like to ride for breakaways or to try, try stuff. Um, and, you know, will he get that same sort of opportunity again in other years? Maybe not, but um, yeah, he's, he's got a, a long career ahead of him, I think. So that initial kernel really of the, of the national program getting you to Europe for that, that first season of racing sounds like it was key, you know, that to basically elevate you from BC super week to now you're in Europe racing, I guess, Derek G has the advantage. Maybe we need to lean on Sylvan Adams to start a women's team, but it definitely helps yeah. the men to have <laughs> like a Canadian who runs, you know, a, a very, very successful and wealthy men's team. So, um, if we could get a, get him running a women's team, that would be even better, but it's yeah because that's no that that's true you you need to have people that help you bridge that gap or make the connection because you know for me i was winning races in north america and so okay once you're a winner everyone loves a winner and maybe they'll take a chance on you but still even coming from north america and racing where you can win here it's still not the same in europe and and people know that they don't see how you're racing so even to get a you know a contract offer that way is still pretty tough what you need is is yeah either people you know from your national team that are able to make you know character connections for you and really advocate for you or it's um you know someone like sylvan adams that really wants to have canadian athletes on the team and and then you know talks to the people to try to you know figure out who those people would be to give them that chance um and and give them a chance before they have any you know big results um yeah i think that's that's really important for the the development of are Canadian athletes. And Allison, you mentioned you like to race really aggressively. You have a high degree of self-belief and there's this very steep Delta between racing in North America. And as you said, you were dropped into these Kermesses in Belgium or wherever. When you headed over there for those first races, did you have a high degree of self-belief and were you looking forward to like being thrown into that mosh or were you kind of scared? No, I, I, I went there to win um, because I think, so, you know, my perspective is almost like coming from a small town, I was like the big fish in the little pond. I could win anything in any sport. I could enter it and I was going to be successful. But then, you know, you level up to another, you know, a provincial wide level or a national level. And then I, I you know, I wasn't going to be able to win those things. But what I, what happened to me was that I created such a belief that, well, anything I entered, I could just win. And whether it was like, okay, maybe it takes some time to sort of figure out, but I want to figure it out quick. And, uh, you know, how have I been winning other things? Well, by being yeah aggressive, by working hard, and by, like, giving a full energy, not backing away, but, but in, you know, entering into these situations with a, you know, full attitude or, you know, all in. And so I think, you know, you I won a bunch of small races. And so really I just took that, like, yeah, I think I could be – yeah, I could, I should be able to win any race, but I would take that ad attitude and I would never, you know, shy away from like, Oh, in this Kermesse, there's Mariana Voss. Like she's quite a big deal. I just took it as like, it doesn't matter. I just, this is how I've learned to, to win bike races. I'm going to take that. And I just, yeah, I just want to win and I believe I can do it. And so when I came into the Kermesses, yeah, I was never, you know, shying away from, Oh, maybe I need to learn a little bit more. I just was like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of take that, you, you learn to that you can win and you learn that in like small, you know, that small town sort of idea, but then now you've developed this winning attitude or this winning mindset. And then it didn't matter what environment I was put in, I was still taking that winning attitude. Uh, and so, yeah, going to Kermesses or even my first year racing um, all the World Cups or the, you know, what are now the World Tour races in the spring. I remember I was racing just like, Lizzie Dynan, or she was Lizzie Armistead at the time. She was world champion. And I was basically riding every position she was riding. I was riding, I was riding like I was the world champion. But then, you know, we would get to that 20K to go. And all of a sudden I had nothing left because, you know, I was, I would probably, I was doing too much work. I was riding like I had the fitness of a world champion, but I was not the world champion. <laughs> and so then I totally, you know, died. But part of it was just like learning to, to, yeah, finesse that a little bit, but also I think, you know, that self-belief, uh, yeah, really has, has taught me a lot in the racing. So how do you race like a, a champion? And then, and then it also has, you know, 
set me up for some some bigger race wins as well. That that's fascinating. I think about this a lot. Like I have a friend who grew up racing in New Mexico, which is not like a you know a hotbed of cycling, and he always thinks he's going to win every race. Like even if you know like you know a world champion is there, where I'm like, well, I don't know, man. Like I don't think you can. But you know, it's like having that mentality where it's the same thing where it's like, should you go to a super elite private school for high school and be, you know, just one in the bunch of many smart pupils, or is it better just to be the smartest person in your town? And to, it's almost like you've learned, you've learned the skill of confidence first. And then now you're leveraging that in these big races and just letting your fitness catch up. It's, it's really interesting because it kind I think it kind of goes counter to, you know, what most, you know, like young parents, like, Andrew and I, you know, our, our children are away at elite private schools because we just want them to succeed. It's all, it's all we think about is them being the next president. That's a joke, by the way, they're not, but there is a pressure when you're a young parent to like, (laughs) you know, your kid, our, my kid is behind, he's three years old. You know, he needs to get away to a basketball camp if he wants to be a really good basketball player. But it's fascinating to see you've, you've like, you've really succeeded at the opposite of that. Just like learning to dominate people and like learning, learning the skill of, of winning and domination and confidence and then learning the other stuff later has, has worked really well for you. Yeah. <laughs> whether that, whether that will work like as a, as a theory that we could implement for everyone, I, I don't know. No, we're, but, we're doing um... a chorus. We got books. Books are being written <laughs> as we speak on this. We're all going to just go around doing speaking circuits on this now. Yeah. But, but I did have a coach in, uh, when I was at Trinity Western University, uh, and he, Laurier Primo, and he was um, the athletics director for Scotland, Scotland Athletics. And they had done a study basically where, like, they had found a lot of their top athletes in the running world were from these, like, small towns. And it was, like, it seemed like a bit of a trend. And it was, like, well, why would that be? And and some of the, the theory that kind of came out was that, you know, you come from a small town. One, you have so much space outdoors so you're more physical as a child so you're not just in inside or you know have to be inside the city or whatever um you have just more space so you become more of a robust athlete um just by out access to easy outdoor time um and then the other was that you you learn to win and then you you yeah you learn a winning mindset already um and what it takes to win and how and and how it feels to win um and then you you take that and so when you level up into another you know level or harder competition you're actually still taking that winning mindset and you know what what it's like to win um and so and so then you learn how to do it um faster um so that that was always something that i thought was really interesting um that they kind of that you know, I, I feel like I could apply to myself or maybe I took that theory and I just thought that's a great theory. I am going to manifest that in my life. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, that's interesting. I mean, I guess it works better in low, like low skill sports or like, but you don't see many NBA players come from small towns because I guess you just kind of, it's a kinetic game. And the more you watch people play, the more in your, your neural pathways build like different ways to play the game. But in, you know, in running or cycling, maybe. But we can also see like hockey. Um, you know, like kids in small rural town, you know, Canadian towns. They just there's there's not much else to do in the town besides just like be outside on the on the pond or in the street playing hockey. And so you you just like learn these skills over and over. You have the time to just like spend five hours just doing it as play, but there's not other things that distract you from doing other things. So I think that would, that would depend. It would be interesting to look maybe at other sports or even like basketball, like where was the, was there, you know, kids that just spent like hours and hours just like in the driveway because they had nothing else to do. Um, is that because it's a small town thing or it's just like access to more outdoor time? Yeah. I don't know. That is interesting. Huh? What the, We'll have to think about this. Yeah, you're right. Cause yeah, I guess hockey's different too, because it's almost like the bigger town you live in, the more expensive access to ice can be. So the smaller town you're in, you can be on the ice for longer for a more affordable True. price, yep. perhaps. 
Yeah, I think you can look for these tips in Spencer's forthcoming book, The Talent Code 2.0. And something that I'm, I'm, cu I'm curious about to maybe bring this back to the tour. So Allison, as you mentioned, the team has objectives at the tour. I'm sure, as you mentioned, you would love to get a stage win. And you now have this Perry roubaix win under your belt as well. I'm curious what happens within the team when, when you have that victory is there kind of a commutative property of confidence where the team's belief in its ability to win elevates? And how do you think about that as you head into the tour and kind of building a coalition of confidence around you to get that stage win? Yeah, I mean, that's what I kept saying I, was my hope out of winning and winning the way I did with bold boldness and confidence and self-belief. And I really wanted that to just like um, – take over the whole team and I was hoping to see that other riders from my team would take on that mentality because uh, in the next races they would do because right after that race I even having co uh, conversations with my teammates and they were just like uh, you could see that they were inspired and amazed that like wow like you took that into your own hands and you were really bold in a way that we thought was not going to be the way to win and then you did win and I just hope that uh you know, I kept saying to everyone too, you know, really like specifically like this, you know, this is how we win races. This could be you. You have to, you know, try something and whatever. But you know what? And so far in the races, I just haven't seen that from my teammates. And oh, I just like, yeah, how as much as I would want to inspire that that same attitude and whatever it. I haven't seen it spilled over yet. I mean, I think I've still taken so much confidence from this. And even in some of the other races that I've been doing, I've been like starting the echelons and leading things out and going on the attack and, you know, still trying to um, even like continue to be um, lead by example, I guess, for, for my teammates. Cause I still really believe that this is like the best way to race and, and yeah, how we can pull off, you know, some more, results and stuff but um yeah i still i haven't quite seen that in my in my team yet so i don't know what it would take to to get everyone really like on on board with that i think a lot of, uh what it has done even within you know cycling canada um you know some of the girls there too have been like wow okay if, if you could do this i can do this um which uh but yeah what more has happened is that my teammates have have more belief in me uh as a team leader um, to, you know, to win races. And, and so like, I think, you know, if I put my hand up for, you know, uh, that I really want to win a stage in the, in the tour, for example, I think my teammates are really committed. Um, they'll have the belief that I can do that. And, and when you have a leader that you really believe can win, then you as a teammate, a lot of times you can pull out even bigger, better performances from yourself. Um, with that belief um so if maybe at first it starts that they you know believe in me more that it's possible and then you know really confident in me and then hopefully then that translates you know they practice that and you know seeing that they can do more with the belief you know in their leader and then maybe they take that belief into their themselves to and you know bring that confidence out in in races so yeah i guess we'll we'll just see um i keep that's what i keep preaching to everybody um and uh yeah we'll see what how it translates into bike racing i guess and my last question is are, are you back in canada for the national championships is that your next race yeah yeah uh they're uh yeah june 23rd 25th and 26th um in edmonton so it's just like a couple hours from the bison ranch um so looking forward to having uh yeah my, my family my nephews and nieces all come and some and some yeah childhood friends and people come out to see the perry roubaix champion racing in edmonton local <laughs> <laughs> and do you have team you have teammates in that race with you yeah i actually i'm really looking forward to having uh sarah portivan she's a canadian also from alberta she's been one of my best teammates actually um throughout the spring just like really knows how to ride as a teammate like a super do domestic absolutely um and even in Perry bay she, she was my best teammate we we're um it was either going to be her or I that was in that breakaway when we were riding that day. And, uh, she really like set up some of the moments for, for me to get into that breakaway. So yeah, I'm looking forward to racing with her. Um, 
it'll it'll make the the race at nationals much easier to manage or just help our odds of of taking home the win so there there is like i've often wondered with like team sky or Ineos, like there's so many of them like do they go in Mm. do most people go in with a team plan to national championships or is it like this is a free-for-all like everyone's just trying to win and like we see who wins or is it just depend yeah i mean We'll we'll look at the course. I mean, it'll be dictated by her and I. We won't have you know a directive from the team or anything like that. It, it'll be basically how we wanna wanna race. Um, you know, a lot of people will argue that nationals is an individual race, but I mean, we're it's a team sport, and we're we're yeah, we want to see each other be successful, and for us and for the team, like for, you know, the team would just want to have the national champion, and they wouldn't care who it was, and. Um, yeah, I, I think also between me and Sarah, we're super supportive of each other. And I would just, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I have zero tolerance <laughs> for us not taking home the win, but I don't care who it is. Um, so I think, yeah, we'll be able to, we know each other well enough to also know what our strengths are and how we could take home the win. And so we'll try to set that up in, in the various ways that, that we can. Coach Jackson's had enough of losing. It's, it's not an option. That's right. <laughs> are, are you guys it is like not an option. Working on your own bikes, or do you get support from the team for that race? Yeah, we'll be we'll be here on our own. Um, we'll, we'll get support actually from our um, like provinces. I'll I'll ride uh, with Cycling BC. I've always when I started bike racing, it was out in BC, and so I've always connected with the the provincial club in BC, and they'll they always do a great job to to offer support and be a follow car in the the road race and also a follow car um, in the time trial. So, but yeah, it's a pretty bare bones kind of thing. It's, it's always funny. Sometimes, you know, you go from world tour where everything is taken care of for, for you. You don't have to think at all. Um, you, you just show up and you do what the job is and, but you know that your bottles are going to be ready. Your equipment's going to be good. Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to have the, the big bus to chill in before, before you, you know, uh, rock up to, to the race start. And here it's like, oh yeah, I remember what it was like when I first started and you have to lube your own chain and you have to try to remember these things. Like, what do I need to bring? Um, cause you, for, you don't ever have this checklist that you, that you have, um, for a race start cause the team takes care of it. So it is funny a little bit, uh, going back to the humble roots, but also in a way it's good to re- just remember like, Oh yeah, rem- it, you know, it's such a privilege to get to race at the world tour and that, you know, all these things really make a difference for performance. Um, but even without them, um, yeah, you can still pull off, you know, a, a great ride in, in a race and, and uh, you know, all those things become, can become just extra like, what what is the the minimum the mo- that you need in order to perform really well and actually it's you know you don't need it need a lot have you previewed the course yeah well it we raced the same course uh it's a little bit different um but we raced it a similar um setup last year um it'll be that this yeah it'll be nationals will be in edmonton for three years so this will be the second year uh, we'll have another year that it'll be hosted by the the yeah event group in edmonton so yeah i have seen it um know it pretty well um yeah it's a it's a good little course that goes in and out of the the riverbed do you want to call your shot <laughs> like where it's going to happen in the race Where's it going to go down? Where do you impose your will? <laughs> well, anytime I can make the race hard, I'm going to make it hard. And then we're just going to thin out the group until the the last moments of the race. Sounds like a, Fair sounds enough. Like a plan. Yeah. Sounds like BWR Lawrence Wafer. Yeah. <laughs> but, but was it before you go, actually, now I've been meaning to ask you this. Since, since you grew up like in such a gravel-heavy area, like, you know, you, you invented gravel riding in many ways, just taking a road bike out on gravel. Like, do you plan on doing any gravel races, North American or European based in the you know next few months or years, or are you just like solely focused on the road? Yeah, I have a lot of goals still, um, on the, on the road. And like, um, I, I love 
like when I go out on the gravel bike, it really t- it reminds me that bike riding is fun. When I'm on the road bike, a lot of times I think like this is training. When I'm on the gravel bike, it just is like oh, euphoria. It's just so fun. So I like that that I have that that I have that discipline that I can keep as just fun. Um, so to target some like racing, then it you know it would change that perspective a little bit of of why I'm on the bike. So I like that, that I have that, um, change of discipline, but, uh, but I mean, I love racing, <laughs> so I'll race anything. Um, so yeah, to hop into some gravel stuff, I think would just be really fun. But I also just love like the atmosphere of gravel riding that it really is like a community thing. And, um, you know, road racing is, is, can be quite cutthroat. It doesn't have that same type of community but that the gravel does um so i love being in and around um that community and and i think like for sure i'm gonna be like now that you know bwr has one in victoria and stuff too i think that's super cool and and also just like a chance to get to ride these new uh new roads and explore something new and you know i love meeting people at the races and stuff so i think it'll we'll sprinkle some of that gravel racing in in my future but yeah i've got a lot of just road racing goals to accomplish first all right well uh we should probably let you go you've been very generous with your time but do you have any last questions andrew before we take off i think that this is the logical point in time allison when spencer and i invite you to come do the bwr waffle ride with us in lawrence kansas in mid-october i'm sure that that would be perfect for your 2024 preparation so We'll just throw that out there. And we also want to let our fans know, yes, there is a collaboration dance coming on Instagram stories soon. We're working on it. Spencer's cringing, but it's going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a little bit less of a a lift, but if you cannot make it to the race, we will be calling you the night before for a pep talk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us and best of luck. Yeah. Thanks so much, Allison. Cheers. Thanks. My pleasure.